Once again, I want to tell you what a joy it is to be with you once again, and uh, uh, delighted to see some familiar faces, and also delighted to see some, some new and unfamiliar faces. I want to begin by recognizing that something highly significant occurred this last week. This last week, over three, uh, 1,300 Anglicans gathered in Kigali, Rwanda for the fourth GAFCON conference in response to a number of challenges facing the Anglican Communion. Specifically, decisions approved by the Church of England and the Archbishop of Canterbury that further divide Anglicans who wish to normalize as acceptable practices of the Bible that the Bible clearly defines as sinful, against those Anglicans who pastorally and compassionately desire to hold traditionally understood biblical truth. I'm not going to go into all the details. That's not what we all came to hear. I've always found that politics, uh, church or otherwise, divide people. And the gospel unites people. Or at least it's supposed to, amen? amen. Yet on Friday, just, uh, just a couple of days ago, the conference re released a statement that called faithful Anglicans to a number of things, including a call for increased fellowship with one another, recalling the authority of God's word, our own need for continued repentance. Support for faithful Anglicans wherever they may be. And to demonstrate renewed and appropriate pastoral care around the globe. To me, the most significant statement was found in their concluding words. Most importantly of all, we commit ourselves afresh to the gospel mission of reclaiming the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ, calling on all to acknowledge him as Lord in repentance and faith, and living out a joyful, obedient, uh, faithful obedience to his word in all areas of our lives. We will explore fresh ways to encounter each other, to pray for one another and to hold each other accountable in all these things. We commit ourselves into the hands of our almighty and loving Heavenly Father with confidence that he will fulfill all his promises. And even through a time of pruning, Christ will build his church. To whom shall we go? We go to Christ who alone has the words of eternal life, quoting John chapter 6, verse 68. And then we go with Christ to the whole world. And that leads us to our gospel. To whom shall we go? Over 2,000 years ago, two men decided to head toward Emmaus. To some extent, it may be easy to miss the simplest of realities. The two men were headed to, 
to Emmaus because of the events of Holy Week. And these two were giving up. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Seven miles from Jerusalem. In other words, to get to Emmaus, you have to turn your back on Jerusalem. And through the church, metaphorically speaking, this has been a metaphor of understanding you, turning your back on Jerusalem was a metaphor for turning your back on God. Theologian Frederick Buckner once wrote, Emmaus is where we go when life gets too much for us. The place we go in order to escape. A bar. A movie. Wherever it is, we throw up our hands and say, let the whole darn thing hang. It makes no difference anyway. Emmaus may be whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred that even the noblest ideas that men have had, ideas about love and freedom and justice, have always been in time twisted out of shape by selfish men and selfish ends. Standing against these realities are at least three Christian truths. First, brothers and sisters, Jesus does not come among us demanding newness of life. He confers it. You see, amendment of life is a consequence of grace. It's not a prerequisite. Jesus himself came alongside these two as a companion, not as a judge. He didn't stop them or tell them, you're going the wrong way. He walked with them. He talked with them. He companioned with them. And in doing so, confers grace. A second truth is that people in their waywardness and sinfulness still remain instruments of God. That God is able to use us not just in our moments of righteousness but even in our depths as well. Judas, Caiaphas, Pilate, all had their roles in the Paschal Mystery. And likewise, so did Peter, whose repentance began the Christian church, part of which we heard in his sermon at Pentecost today. 
And here's the good news. God uses us all for his purposes, as mysterious as they may be. All of the heroes of the Bible had plenty of faults. But I, for one, would rather be more like Peter and Paul than Judas and Pilate. And the third truth is that the only way we can make sense of Easter is to encounter the risen Christ ourselves. And we know that the same is true for us. Don't we at times feel the same ways? Where do you go when life happens? To the beach, right? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I once upon a time saw, saw a thing that said, not all of life's problems can be solved at the beach, but it's worth a try. <laughs> Where do you go when life happens? It's easy enough to think of Emmaus as an escape. That was for them simply a time saying, let's get on with life. What the disciples experienced, however, wasn't just a disappointment or a tough week. The crucifixion was much more than that. The crucifixion of Jesus dashed their hopes and souls to the bottom of their core. After all, these men had... had and women had spent around about three years in the presence of Jesus. And we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What they experienced was more than just a disappointment or a tough week. What they did experience was the shattering of every hope. But that's not the end of the story, is it? The story has always been proof to me that when you try to run away from God, God is right there. You run right smack face to face with him. See, God has the character to draw near to us when we least expect it. As a good friend of mine says, God typically does what God typically does. God typically does what God typically does. You remember the encounter of the risen Christ on the shore, right? And the, and the disciples had been fishing all night and they had caught nothing. And Jesus, the risen Jesus stands upon the shore and he calls to them and he says, let down your net on the other side and you'll have a catch. Right? You remember that story? And they, and they do it. They throw the net over the, over the side and they, and they have a, 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 a catch full, a net full of fish. But you see, Jesus had done that before. 
earlier on in his ministry. Jesus had done that before. And so when this happened again, they recognized it. They understood. It's the Lord. God typically does what God typically does. The two disciples sitting at a table with a supposed stranger, Jesus picks up the bread and he breaks it. He did that same exact thing in the upper room at the Last Supper the night before Gethsemane, or the night of Gethsemane, night before his crucifixion. And they recognized it. They realized who he was. They recognized him. You see, God typically does what God typically does. Should it really surprise us when God shows up in unexpected places and unexpected people? Let's face it, the disciples were real people. And let's face it, like the disciples, we too are real people. And like real people, we can be on our own journey to Emmaus, even here, even now. You see, my brothers and sisters, we come to this house. We come to the Lord's house for various reasons. Somehow, Christ comes alongside of us. Some of us are confronted by Christ's very same words. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow to have heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. And then what happens is the risen Christ becomes known to us. Like that evening so long ago, Christ is known to us suddenly, mysteriously. God typically does what God typically does. More important than having the scriptures opened and having their hearts burn was what happened at the table. What is happening here? Just this last Thursday, um, I do an online Bible study and we were discussing the meanings behind the phrases of and, and various uh, phrases in, in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels of the meaning of the kingdom of God. And I made the point that, in my humble opinion, the closest we come to the kingdom of God in this life is in the Holy Eucharist. The closest we come to the kingdom of God is in the Holy Eucharist. Far too often, we think that what we do is just routine worship. Far too often, we have that attitude. But there is something spiritually significant happening here every time we come together 
and celebrate the Eucharist. You see, the Eucharist is more than a, it's not just a memorial. It's more than that. The Eucharist is not just a feeling. It's more than that. The Eucharist is not just a gathering of the community. It's more than that. The Eucharist is not just a recreation of the Last Supper. It's more than that. It is the real presence of Jesus Christ. And that is what truly feeds us. What happened at the table was what happened in Jerusalem. You know, one thing is for certain that three of them walked to Emmaus, but two of them ran back to Jerusalem. Probably the first 12K run in recorded history. You see... The Easter experience means that something is happening in Jerusalem. Metaphorically, anywhere that Jesus can be found is that Jerusalem. The risen Christ makes himself known to draw the disciples back to Jerusalem. The same is true for us whenever we encounter God. That encounter with the risen Christ draws us back. It draws us back from the Emmauses that we're trying to escape from. In every way possible, Jesus intends for us, like the disciples, to understand the message, even in the face of a stranger. Even though we are too often foolish and slow of heart, he opens up the scriptures. Could you do that? I'll bet you could. You know, one of the, one of the interesting things that I saw recently, and I can't uh, re- recall the name of, of her newest book. But Beth Moore, some of you know of, of her. Uh, she left the Southern Baptist Convention and became, of all things, an Anglican. And she talks about her experience of coming to an Anglican church for the first time And her comment was, they read so much scripture. (laughs) You see, my brothers and sisters, we are steeped in Holy Scripture. Every week we hear usually an Old Testament lesson, an epistle reading, and the gospel. and, 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 And say a psalm. We are steeped in Holy Scripture. And beginning with Moses, beginning from the story of the garden uh, when, when Adam and Eve fall, fall to temptation. 
And God comes to them and he sets his plan of salvation into motion. That from the beginning of the garden, he plans to save them through his son, Jesus. Y'all know that story. Y'all know these stories. You're steeped in it. And you can open up the scriptures for others to help them understand who Jesus is. I know that you can do that. You know, Frederick Buechner goes on to say, it is not the objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle we're really after. And that's the miracle that we really get. You see, the risen Christ is to be found in Jerusalem, not Emmaus. Maybe it is that we are now the people of the new Jerusalem. We are the people of the new Jerusalem. Maybe it is that Christ is speaking to us in spite of all our failed expectations, just like those two disciples long ago. Maybe the Paschal mystery means that God is still able to use us, not just in our fleeting moments of righteousness, but also in our waywardness. Maybe. No maybe about it. Just as Christ only responded to the disciples because of their invitation, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So Christ only remains with us by our invitation. You see, every time we invite Christ, he is with us. Every time we invite Christ, he remains with us. And here's more good news. Jesus comes to us and remains with us as his gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He remains with us as his gift. Did not our hearts burn? Did we not see and believe? Will we not return from lonely Emmaus and return to Christ? in the new Jerusalem. Let us pray. O Lord God, as you were hidden, yet present to the disciples years ago, open our eyes to recognize you as present to us. Help us to know when we are tempted to stray from you, that you are still with us. Teach us, guide us, take away our blindness. May you be known to us also in the breaking of the bread. Come, Lord Jesus, stay with us. Amen. Amen.